Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition. Oh, wait. We're not doing the hauntings of today, ladies and gentlemen, but we are doing some pretty creepy shit. Welcome to Movement Radio. My name is Talon Williams. And I am Chip Hazard. We're going to talk about 10 small towns that you probably never heard of, but they have very, very dark past. Yes. Yes. Um, so a, a lot of media tend to view news and history through the lens of countries and their big, powerful cities. Though that makes sense from the standpoint of simplicity, too often it leaves out the ground level, level turmoil that boils up in small towns and villages. So we all know about the Boston Tea Party, right? Right. But what about Gray's Raid at Fairhaven? No. Not a, no, I don't know about that one. We all remember the Alamo, right? Remember the Alamo, right. But how many remember Gonzalez and Gallade? Mm -mm. Exactly. Sometimes small towns play host to the biggest calamities, tragedies, and misfortunes to ever occur. As such, a lot of little places have developed large reputations for darkness and horror. So we're going to talk about 10 of the darkest small settlements whose dubious past placed them in the history books right next to their big city cousins. Absolutely. And we are going to kick it off tonight. I want to pause real quick uh, to let you guys know I am dealing with a sinus infection. So if I seem a little nasally, get over it. It happens. Uh, that being said, <laughs> we're going to we're going to go straight to the very first one on the list tonight. We're talking about a little place called Burke, Idaho. Now, today, Burke, Idaho is an abandoned ghost town. Most of its buildings stand uh, still stand, though dilapidated is slowly dilapidation. I'm sorry, is slowly taking hold as the decades go by. Now, this place was founded in 1887 as a uh, prop uh, as a uh, as a mining settlement, a potential mining settlement. And Burke began its life strong, but was rapidly overpowered by violence and natural disaster. Within just four years of its forming, or founding rather, Burke was the site of a deadly avalanche, a shootout between miners and mine owners, an accidental mine explosion, and by 1892, the governor of Idaho had declared martial law in Burke and sent hundreds of soldiers to restore the peace. It was short-lived, however. Over the next two decades, Burke was subject to a deadly hotel fire, another mining explosion, this one incidental and malicious, another fatal avalanche, another fire, a flood, and then one last fire. If anywhere on earth is cursed, it is definitely Burke, Idaho. I've never heard of this place before, honestly. And to be honest, I, you, I don't. I'm pretty sure if all this shit happened around my neck of the woods, I wouldn't want to leave there, live there either. What say you, Bubba? Uh, yeah, I've I've never heard of Burke, Idaho, but uh, I also I don't think I want to live here either. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's got to be probably the worst place you could possibly live out of fact uh, the town I mean, of burke right well 
I'm looking at the official Wikipedia page of Burke, Idaho. And to be honest, I mean, there's really nothing there at all. Um, it says in the last sentence, it says, it says, as of 2012, the Hecla Mining Company explored the potential of exploring additional resources developed at the Star Mine. Um, as, now, as of December 31st of 2012, Hecla invested $7 million in rehabilitation and exploration with the published with the published estimates suggesting the potential to recover in excess of 25 million ounces of silver from the site <clears throat> with significant zinc and lead deposits also present. But that was all the way back in 20 it was 2012-2013 and here we are coming up on uh we're here in the year 2021 and no it it still has yet to do anything we haven't heard anything about it at least um uh so so upon looking at where burke idaho is it looks like the closest big city to them would be spokane washington right because burke is like up there near the near the upper part of the of the uh of the state really it's more right outside montana if you really want to think about it it's closer to it um, is, but oh, excuse me. Uh, it 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 is uh, close to the state of Montana, but I mean, if we're looking at just big cities, right? Uh, Spokane, Washington, would be the closest because uh, it, it's further away from uh, Missoula, Montana, than it is um, Spokane, Washington, right? Um. And it's really, I mean, it, it's only it's a hundred miles away from the Canadian border, right? Up, it's just literally right below uh, British Columbia, um, and then it border, yeah, it borders on that. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, there was there was the establishment. There was also the labor wars that happened. Um, what you said, fires and different things of that nature. Um, there was. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm looking at just a couple of them, like the Great Fire of 1910 happened here. At the at at, at um, the Burt Canyon happened, um, and then there was another fire at the Tiger Hotel, um, which became which this most notably damaged. Um, it was it was made it was made unprofitable by night by the nineteen forties, and it was tore down in nineteen fifty four. A lot of craziness going on. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I found another part here. It says on February 4th, 1890, the first of several avalanches in Burke's history caused major damage to the residents and businesses in the town and killed three people. And then in 1891, tensions between miners and mining companies began to rise. And in 1989, hard rock miners in Shore County protested wage cuts with a strike. The two large mines, uh, the Jim mine and the Fresco mine in Burke uh, Canyon, uh, one mile south of Burke, operated with replacement workers during the strike. Several lost their lives in a shooting war provoked by the discovery of a company spy named Charles A. Shrigo. Um On the morning of July 11, uh, 1892, a gunfight at the nearby Fresco Mill inadvertently ignited a box of dynamite, causing the mill to explode, killing six people. That was when Governor Frank Steinberg uh, declared martial law and sent the U.S. Army and the National Guard into the canyon to keep the peace. Okay. 
little bit of history there. A little bit of history there. Um, But even then, man, I mean, I still don't want to live in this town. (laughs) You kiss my ass on that one. I am not going anywhere near Burke, Idaho. No, thank you. (laughs) All right. That being said, let's move on to the next one. You got it? Yep. Next up, we're going to talk about Liberty and Independence, New Jersey. So Liberty and Independence are two small neighboring towns in New Jersey that are unremarkable for the most part. A road that snakes through them, both aptly named Shades of Death Road, earns them a spot on this list. First of all, pause. Time out. Why would you name a road Shades of Death? Oh God, I don't know. Okay, I'm going to tell you why. So the the road earned its name through a series of dark and violent incidents that occurred along its length, running the whole gamut of human suffering. The site was home to a deadly malaria outbreak, a string of lethal wildcat attacks on travelers, repeated robberies and murders by highwaymen, the lynching of said highwaymen, three unrelated brutal murders, including a beheading, and an above-average amount of fatal car accidents. And that doesn't even include the various paranormal sightings along the road and neighboring Ghost Lake. Hold on one second. If I'm not mistaken, I think we talked about this. Hold on. Let me go back through... Uh, shout out to hauntedrooms.com, by the way. Uh, yeah, there it is. It's Shades of Shades of Death Road in Warren County. We talked mm-hmm. about this recent. We talked about this on the New Jersey episode. Right. Yes, yes, we did. Absolutely. Um, so the the closest major town to uh, Liberty and Independence, New Jersey, would be Allentown, Pennsylvania. Now, there is a smaller town in between them called Bethlehem. Not Bethlehem, but Bethlehem. Right. Uh, and then, you know, it, it's probably a couple hundred miles away from uh, New York City. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it is from, 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 from all I've been able to look up, I mean, it's been, it's, it's, it's Warden County and it's been, I'm trying to look up the, uh, the actual road itself. Cause I believe if I'm not mistaken, there's a Wikipedia page on that one. Shades of death. There you go. There it is right there. Shades of death road. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it talks about, there's legends and there's folklore about it. Uh, there's ghost lake, the fairy hole, um, it talks about um, it talks about uh, the Native American spirits, about the shape shifting deer. Uh, we've talked we talked about that previously. Um, uh, there's actually a um, a, uh, a a magazine, a semi annual magazine called Weird NJ, aka New Jersey, and it uh-huh. talks about all the local legends, hauntings, ghost stories, folklore, unusual places, and events that have took place in the state of New Jersey. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, but yeah, a, a, according to legend about Shades of Death Road, it says some focus on the road's southern half where an adjoined forest with an aging tree 
provide such actual shade from the sun that even on the brightest days it will be pitch black dark highwaymen or the other bandits would supposedly lay waiting for victims in the shadows then often cut their throats after taking what they had or they would engage in a fight to the death among themselves over women okay um or it is said that the local uh, uh the local populace would take revenge against these highwaymen by lynching them and leaving the bodies dangling from a low-hanging tree branch as a warning to any oncoming criminals. In the 1920s and 1930s, there are three brutal murders along this road. One was a robbery in which a man was hit over the head with a tire jack over some gold coins. The second in which was a woman who was beheaded by her husband. I'm sorry, a woman who beheaded her husband and buried his head and the body in different sides on, on either side of the road. Okay. Crazy. Yeah. And lastly, one was of a local resident named Bill Cummings was shot and buried in a mud pile. This case never was never solved. Yeah. So there's just even there's just some of the of the uh, of the uh, folklore and legend, and then you got obviously the hauntings that we talk about. On the uh, on the past episode, by the way, everybody go check out the past episodes of the Hauntings of uh, Hauntings of New Jersey. We got we had a lot of cool uh, cool stories we talked about on that one. Hashtag Red Eye Mike. Um, so uh, yeah, you guys definitely go check that out. Um, but yeah, man, this what? Do you, how are you feeling about this one so far? Uh, man, fuck this place. <laughs> <laughs> that's, right. That's all I'm saying. Right. All right. Uh, well, the next one we're going to talk about. This one's a this one's a, this one's got a little bit of some extraordinary stuff around. Um, this is in. I'm probably going to butcher this. It's in Pripyat, Ukraine. Okay, and Pripyat may not be a household name in America, but its nearby neighbor Chernobyl definitely is. Though Pripyat swells to almost fifty thousand residents in its peak, pushing past the boundaries of a small town. It now spends every day with a total population of zero. Oh, wow. Pritiat was a functioning city for 16 years before it was hastily abandoned during the nearby Chernobyl disaster. After 16 years of habitation, it has now spent 35 years as an irritated, decaying ghost town. One of the most famous photos meant to highlight the tragedy of Chernobyl is actually a picture of pre pre yeah I'm, I'm, again I'm butchering the fucking word I'm sorry it shows of it's a picture of the pre yet amusement park and in particularly its towering Ferris wheel now blanketed in rust and standing eerily still as the whole population was evacuated in only two days the ruined city buildings still hold much of their con of their former uh, contents. School books, uh, school books sit open on desk and sheets still laid out on beds, half thrown, yeah, half thrown off in haste. Yeah, um, I've never heard of this. I mean, we we know about the Chernobyl disaster, um, right? I've never heard of a uh, Pripyat. I've never heard of that in the in the Ukraine. How are you feeling about this one? Uh, I mean. Yeah, it's it's pretty close to to, to Chernobyl. Uh, I think there's let me let me double check. 
it's probably less right around or less than a hundred uh miles right uh, away matter of fact it is 26 minutes away so th- this would be you know why that that you know nobody lives there because i mean that's that's pretty close to where the disaster of the uh nuclear power plant there uh in chernobyl happened right you know so there there's got to be some residuary effects to you know the outlying communities uh i'm sure they have like three-headed um three-headed fish and stuff like that right i'm just kidding but right uh, hey go hunt hey go hunt there you'll catch a 58 point rabbit right um but i don't know i like it, it it's almost one of those places like that i would like to kind of go and and see you right. know uh because it, it's it sounds like it's almost like everything was just left the way it was and you know people just disappeared right you know because if i'm not mistaken it said that uh like school books were left yeah school books sit open on desk and sheets still lay on the beds half thrown off in haste where people just got up and disappeared right uh and and the fact that there was i mean the fact that there was so much radiation that was eroded from this you know which people say to this day if if you go to chernobyl or if you go even in in a close proximity to it you know you still get hit with a little bit of that excess radiation and it won't be completely dissipated until like the year 2065 or something like that i i really do wonder if um that's an old old wives tale or just kind of an urban legend um you know yeah yeah i've heard heard. um i mean but i mean it's been adapted in films a couple of times like matter of fact um uh priyat uh it was actually in featured in uh uh the plot of the film a good day to die hard in 2013 is partly set in uh priyat um the chernobyl diaries were set in there uh land of oblivion was also set there uh, the History Channel had a documentary where they actually uh, it was it was called Life After People, um, where it talked about, um, you know, if, if the Chernobyl disaster was to if if it was worse than what it was, blah 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 blah. Um, uh, there was also a documentary called The Lost City of Chernobyl, which also um, had a lot to do with this as well. Um, NBC, uh, CBS sixty Minutes did a did a. Uh, an expose on it. It was actually featured in the in the movie Transformers: Dark of the Moon. Right. It was uh, shown uh, as a brief mission to go there, um, uh, where it says it says there that where wherein the Autobots are first attacked by Shockwave while searching for a piece of alien technology, in which in the in universe is explained as being uh, the catalyst for the Chernobyl disaster. So they they put the they they made the the part of the disaster incorporated it into the movie somehow. Um, and then there was a documentary back in 2008 called white horse, which was filmed actually in Priyat, 
Um, and it talked about the Chernobyl disaster and what happened to the city and it becoming a ghost town and things of that nature. Um, it was also in video games as well. Um, if you if you're a fan of Call of, Call of Duty Four Modern Warfare, um, it, 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 there was a mission that takes place in Priyat. Um, it was also in Call of Duty uh, Modern Warfare Three as well, and in the remastered version of the original Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Um, it was also in uh, Counter Strike uh, Global Offensive. It was also in that one. Um, it was in the movie. Uh, it was in the video game Stalker. It was part of the Stalker series. <coughs> Excuse me, and it was part of the uh, the game Warface, uh, which is a free to play online first person shooter. Um, so yeah, and that means that, I mean there's a lot of you know there's a lot of uh, like and, and even in television. I mean there was one episode on uh, you ever heard of the show River Monsters? I mean. I think everybody has this one yeah. at some point. Um, so in at River in, in River Monsters, um, they conducted a interview where Jeremy Wade um, uh, conducted an extensive 2013 investigation with Priyat, the the exclusivity zone where the Chernobyl power plant was. They looked for radioactive um, mutated well fit well catfish. I don't know what they were expecting to find, but that, that's what it was oh wow okay so i didn't know this uh there are actually people that still live in chernobyl uh oh really yeah um so i found this this website it's dw.com and it's five uh five myths about the chernobyl nuclear disaster okay and and one of the things it says that uh today uh pripyat the closed city built to serve the nuclear power plant and house its employees is often described as a tote, a ghost town as is the nearby city of Chernobyl. However, neither have been entirely empty since 1986 when the disaster happened. It says thousands of people, usually men stay there often working two week shifts to ensure that the crucial infrastructure in both cities continue to function. After the explosion in Reactor 4 in Chernobyl, Reactors 1, 2, and 3 continued to operate, and they only closed down. Uh, reactor 1 closed down in 91, Reactor 2 closed down in 96, and Reactor 3 closed down in 2000. Also, fairly recently, within the last 20 years. Right. Wow. Uh, special units of the Ukrainian Interior Ministry Police the zone and there are also stores and at least two hotels in chernobyl which are mainly for business visitors there are also a number of unofficial inhabitants including people who live used to live in the area and have chosen to return they have settled in villages that were evacuated after the disaster the exact number of people is unknown and when dw.com asked the state agency of U grain on the exclusion zone management how many people lived in chernobyl the official answer was nobody but in 2016 about 180 people were there to, were thought to be living in the entire exclusion zone because they tended to be older this number may have fallen off even though these locals are officially only tolerated the state does support them in their everyday lives their pensions are delivered once a month, and every two to three months, they are supplied with food by a mobile store. 
Huh. Interesting. Uh, and it says that uh, a visit to the exclusion zone would not cause any undue harm as long as visitors paid attention to the rules uh, when they do official tours. So, oh, okay. see, I always thought that it was like Chernobyl was just like closed off and you couldn't go there at right. all. But right. apparently you can. That's crazy to me. Because so, I always thought it was very like high level priority one security level, you know, you know, let, right. let's, like let's try Defcon. to get this. Yeah. Depcon five or whatever. Um, right. You know, somebody's probably gonna be like, it's Depcon nine. We don't care. We don't watch that show. <laughs> but I, well, anyway, I don't even know what show you're talking about. To be I don't even know what show I'm talking about. To be honest with you. Okay. Um, I just, yeah, I hear it's funny. That being said though, let's, uh, let's move on from that one to the next one you got it yep next up we're going to talk about attica new york so attica is a tiny town just a short drive from buffalo in upstate new york uh in its 210 year history hardly anything of note has occurred in the quaint little country town that is aside from some of the most notorious torture of prisoners in U.S. history and its single bloodiest prison riot. Oh, yeah, okay, keep reading. I like this. All right. Uh, the Attica Correctional Facility is a maximum security prison famous in part for housing some of the most high-profile criminals in U.S. history, including Mark David Chapman. Okay. Joel Rifkin. Okay. And the Son of Sam. Ooh. Okay. The faculty is also famous for its mistreatment of its prisoners, including overcrowding, over-liberal use of solitary confinement, and race-based punishment from the guards. This led to the Attica Uprising in 1971, a mass prisoner rebellion that ended in over 40 people, almost all of them prisoners, winding up dead. Wow. Insane. Yeah. Uh, is it still around? I mean, is, is it still like in existence? Oh, well, let's we know. Double check here, right here. Let's just type in Attica State. Here we prison. go. Oh, wow. There's a lot of notables here. David Berkowitz, a.k.a. like what you said, Son of Sam. Uh, H. Rat Brown of the Black Panther Movement. Um, He was sentenced there from 1971 to 1978. Uh, Jimmy uh, Cassie. um, Mark David Chapman. For those of you who don't know, Mark David Chapman, he was the one that murdered John Lennon back in 1980. Yep. Um, Joseph Christopher. Edward Kaminsky. Yeah, Valentino Kaminsky. Dixon, yeah, Kaminsky, yeah, Valentino uh, Dixon, Dixon, Dean Valerio, Fal- we'll say that's how it's pronounced, uh, Colin Ferguson, uh, Kendall Francisco, uh, Frank P. Gilfren, Sam Melville, El, San- El Sayed Nosuer, I guess, uh, Ralph Bucky Phillips, uh, and this interesting interesting tidbit about him is that he's a convicted murderer who led one of the one of the largest manhunts in New York State history. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joseph Mad Dog Sullivan, 
the only man who has ever escaped from the prison. So there's one. Um, and then Joe Rifkin, as we, he just described. Um, also, Willie Sutton, who robbed over 100 banks from 19, in the late 1920s to 1952. David Sweat, who killed a, a Broome County Sheriff deputy or deputy sheriff in 2012. He escaped from the Clinton uh, Correctional Facility in 2015. He was rehoused in Attica in 2017. And Joe Munia and, and Jose Munia is a member of the uh, – Trinitarios. Trinitarios. Yeah, it's a Hispanic street gang from the Bronx um, for the murder of uh, Lissandro uh, Guzman uh, Files. Um, so, yeah, they got a lot of people here. Um, matter of fact, there's a main article about the prison riot. I'm trying to go through and see. Go ahead. Yeah, I was I know, I, yeah. Go ahead. No, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 yeah. It uh, uh, it it is still in uh, uh, it, it in operation. Brain there fart there for a second. There yeah, it, it, it is still in operation. Um, so uh, the the one that um that was was or is uh i think he's still housed there is el sayad nocer he was yeah. uh, it, he he was responsible for the 1993 world trade center bombing oh wow yeah um so i don't know he's still alive uh, uh so he's actually imprisoned in uh big sandy in inez kentucky now so they've transferred huh from Attica State Prison to uh the it's it's called United States Penitentiary Big Sandy. It's a high security United States federal prison for male inmates. Right. Uh, so yeah I'm looking at I'm looking at the the riots and everything like that. I mean they had like there was a there was public outcry against it, the retaking of the prison, and there was the massacre and the retaliation. Um, they, it says here that once the inmates had secured their section of the prison, they began organizing and drafting a list of demands for officials to meet before they would surrender. Inmates elected leaders to represent them in negotiations and appointed inmates to, to serve as medics and security. For example, Frank Big Black Smith was appointed the head of their security, and he also kept the hostages and the observationers safe. Additionally, an ardent Orator, 21-year-old Elliot James Barkley was a strong force during the negotiations, speaking eloquently to the inmates, camera crews, and outside and outsiders at home. Barkley, just days before he was scheduled to, re- to be released at the time of the uprising, was killed during the recapturing of the prison. He said, and this is this is Elliot James uh, Barkley, um, declaration to the people of America, read by him. On September 9th of 1971, he said, we are men, we are not beasts, and we do not intend to be beaten or driven as such. The entire prison populace, that means each and every one of us here, have set forth to change forever the ruthless brutalization and disregard for the lives of the prisoners here and throughout the United States. What has happened here is but the sound, but, let me read that again, okay, what has happened here is 
but the sound before the fury of those who are pro who are uh, uh, oppressed. We will not compromise on any terms except those terms that are agreed upon to us. We've called upon all of the conscious citizens of America to assist us in putting an end to this situation that threatens the lives of not only us, but every, which each and every single one of you as well. Wow. And according to this, it says that the, that the drafts were they, were, they included 33 demands, including better medical treatment, fair visitation rights, approved food quality, religious freedoms, high wages for inmate jobs, and end of physical abuse and basic necessities like toothbrushes and showers every day for professional training and access to newspapers and books. The manifesto assigns the power to negotiate in to five inmates elected to represent them. Additionally, the documents, uh, the document uh, specialized list out vile and vicious slave masters, as they were known, who opposed the prisoners, such as the New York governor uh, and New York corrections and the United States courts. Um, and it says <clears throat> because of this riot and the effects that it had uh, on the New York state prison system, partly in response to the uprising. The New York State Department of Corrections implemented changes, including, and they only made six changes to this. So, out of the thirty-three demands, they got six of them. So, <clears throat> go well, with that. I mean, at least they got some changes. I mean, right? Yeah, yes, these are prisoners, and they've done some bad things, but they still have certain human rights, you know, like to be able to live in a clean facility. Um, you know, be able to brush their teeth, stuff like that. Uh, so I, I think that they should be given those, uh, you know, certain human rights. Right. Well, according it says it's according to this, it says one provide more basic, su- provide more basics such as more showers, soap, medical care, and family visits. Uh, two, including a grievance procedure in which inmates would report actions by the staff members that violate published policy three create a uh, creating liaison committees in which inmates select representatives to speak for them in meetings with prison officials Four, allocating funding to prisoners legal services a statewide network of lawyers to assist inmates five providing access to higher education and six allowing more free more religious freedom for inmates while there are Improvements in prison conditions over the years immediately following the uprising during the quote-unquote war on drugs and quote-unquote tough on crime era in the 1980s and 90s, many of these improvements were were reversed. Overcrowding worsened with with the prison population of New York increasing dramatically from 12,500 at the time of the uprising to 72,600 in the year 1999 alone. In the year 2011, after a man incarcerated in Attica was brutally beaten by the guards for the first time in New York State history, correction officers were criminally charged for a non-sexual assault of an inmate. The guards pleaded guilty in 2015 to a misdemeanor charge to con- to, mis- to misconduct in order to avoid prison time. In news stories regarding the incident, former and current inmates of Attica reported that the prison maintains the reputation of a facility where a small group of correction officers dole out harsh punishments largely with impunity with impunity and inmates uh convoyed a number or 
that conveyed numerous stories of poor prison conditions and severe treatment by the guards. So even now, even after all the changes and everything that happened, they're still treated like dog shit, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that was the, uh, the riots that took place there. Um, but yeah, I mean, Attica doesn't seem like a place I want to go to either. Nope. Especially if there's only thing, I mean, the only thing that you got there is a prison. I mean, not exactly, you know, something you want to do. You know what I mean? Exactly. But anyway, so we move on from there. We go to Elaine. I'm going to say Elaine. Elaine, Arkansas. Yes. Now, Elaine, Arkansas is one of those tiny towns that nonetheless pay a huge, play a huge role in in reveling in systemic issues that plague America even to this day. Even now, its population is less than 700, so it's easy to imagine how small and sleepy it must seem in 1919 before it became the site of the worst racial conflicts in U.S. history, the Elaine Massacre. In 1919, dozens of sites across the United States saw racial violence during what came to be known as the Red Summer. The most violent of these incidences was a massacre in Elaine, which claimed the lives of an estimated 100 to 240 local black farmers. The attack was carried out by a combination of local white mobs, the Ku Klux Klan, and federal soldiers. Immediately, I'm getting pissed. Immediately following the incident, the Arkansas state government began to cover it up. Though luckily, the truth eventually found its way out and has left the town with a permanent scarred reputation. All right. Yeah. I'm just going to say it. Fuck this town. I mean, <laughs> fuck this town and every racist piece of shit in it. Right. It's 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 so fucked up, man. It really is. How are you? I mean, obviously, I think I know how you feel about this one, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, what is there to say? It's 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 bullshit that it, it is the way it is, or was the way it was. I don't know if it is that way still, uh, but you know, fuck. Man, I just hate. Yeah, I, I I hate when 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 people look at other people and they see a difference in color of skin, and they look at them as less than a person. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, just fucking take yourself to, like out of yourself for a minute and put yourself in that person's position. Like, you know, nobody here's here's the thing nobody asked to be born the way they were born whether it's black white you know asian uh puerto rican uh hispanic whatever you know that's just just the way the world is just just the same way that you know nobody asked to be born with uh mental illness or you know i i'm i would say that there's not a single person on planet earth that ever wanted to be born with like juvenile diabetes or uh juvenile cancer or anything like that like 
you know, I, and I know that's that's a long tangent to get back to fuck this town. Fuck this town. Uh, <laughs> interestingly <laughs> enough. No, 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 no. no I, I understand it. Um, now, here's something that I did notice. I'm looking at the official Wikipedia page of the Elaine Massacre. Um, now, they did a memorial in September of 2019, 100 years after the event. The Elaine Massacre Memorial was unveiled. The memorial willow tree was planted at the at the memorial in April of 2019, but was cut down in August of the same year, and the memorial tag was stolen. So there's still a bunch of racist fucks that live in this town. So, you know, like I said before, if you're from, and listen, I don't know if you'll ever hear this, if you live in Elaine, uh, Arkansas, I'm pretty sure this place doesn't have internet or any access to a computer, but if you're a racist piece of shit that lives in Elaine, Elaine, Arkansas, you know what? Screw it. If you're a racist piece of shit to begin with, go fuck yourself. That's what I say. So that's what I'm going to say. All right. With that said, we're going to move on to the next one. Move on to the next one. And the next one is, go ahead. Centralia, Pennsylvania. Okay. Okay, so Centralia, Pennsylvania used to be the home of over 1,000 residents. And as of 2017, it only had five. Shit. The town is not haunted by any murders or massacres. Even its acquisition from the indigenous population was peaceful by American standards. Instead, Centralia is nearly abandoned and nicknamed Hell on Earth, for one reason, the whole town is on fire and has been burning for 59 years. Huh? Yes. Huh. Um, it says in May of 1962, local firefighters were hired to clean up the town dump as they always had by setting it on fire. Except that this time the fire never died out. A passage beneath the dump connected to the labyrinth, uh, the labyrinthine network of coal mines beneath the town. The fire spread and fueled by the immersible quantities of natural gas in the tunnels burned and burned. It took 30 years for the majority of Centralia residents to evacuate the city as sinkholes, open flames, and toxic gas clouds slowly engulfed the town, leaving it the fuming wasteland that it is today. Wow. That, that is crazy. The, the fact that I'm looking at a side-by-side photo of what it looked like back in 1983 and then looking at what it looks like now. It don't even look like it's the same town. No, it doesn't. You know, um, yeah, uh, supposedly, yeah, there's only five people living in this town. You got one 18-year-old, uh, somebody between the ages of 25 and 29, one between 50 and 54, one between 54 and 59, and one between 70 and 74. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I can see why nobody lives there. Uh, but it's odd. So it's been on fire for 59 years. Why have I never heard of this? Like, Right. Is this not 
something that was like taught in school. I don't remember hearing about this in school Never. Or, or anything like that. Like it's, it's really weird. And I would definitely like to do more research on it and probably will, you know, I always keep a notepad on my desk and I take notes while we're recording, you know, to say, all right, I need to go back and look at this or whatnot. And this is now on my, my list of things to uh, do more research on. Absolutely. And you can go through the Wikipedia page. And you can see all the, you can see all the, uh, the, the pictures that are on the side of the Wikipedia page. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it had a sinkhole that was, that was four feet wide, four feet in diameter and 150 feet deep. So if you fell into this sinkhole, I mean, chances bye are bye. you ain't coming back. No, nah, you ain't coming now. Not to mention the fact that the steam blowing uh, from the hole uh, was tested to be found high levels of carbon monoxide oh, um, yeah. at the time of it. You know, so yeah, def- definitely one of them uh, places you don't really want to catch yourself in the middle of in uh, Centralia or Centralia, Pennsylvania. That being said, though, we're going to move on to the next one. And this is in France. And I'm probably going to butcher this. I ain't took French since high school. Um, Ordor Souglane. Sure. And this is in France. Now, most towns on this list have histories built partially on murder. It's a common in, in, it's a common inciting incident for ghost myths and dubious reputations. Rarely, however, are faint are towns famous for the murder of an entire town in one incident. Yet that that's precisely what happened in the country village of Odour Sud Goulin in France. Oh, we're getting into some history. Yes. Horrible, horrible history. In 1944, the leader of the Nazi Waffen-SS regime received potential intel that the fellow Nazi officer had been taken prisoner and executed by local French French resistance. In retaliation, the regime carried out one of the most violent mass executions in history at Ordor-sur-Glenay. After a few hours, 643 civilians, most of them women and children, were dead. The city was razed, and in defense, in, in, in indifference to the slain, it has never been rebuilt, forever standing as a monument of the massacre. What the fuck, man? Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. That is so, I- yeah. Fucked up, man. It really is. Yeah, it is. I mean, 100% it's fucked up. Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm, trying, I'm trying to know where to go. Okay, hey, you know what? There's an autocomplete here. Yeah, it says on June 10th of 1944, the village of Odor uh, Sungule in uh, Hot Venice, in, uh, in, in, this was, and this was Nazi-occupied France, uh, was destroyed when 643 civilians, including non-combative women and children, were massacred by the German Waffen-SS uh, company. The new village was built nearby after the war. Instead of having the ruins of the old village uh, restored, President Charles de Grulet ordered that they maintain as a permanent mo- as a permanent memorial and museum. So, yeah, um, yeah. 
It was, yeah, I mean, I got nothing else to say about this. Yeah, one. Th- th- uh, this one's this one's kind of this one's fucked up, man. It really is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's been there's been a lot of literature about it. Um, there was a 1975 French film, uh, La Vue is that it? Um, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Please don't come attack me later. Um, but uh, but yeah, this this um, this is a. Uh, it, it talked. It talked about the movie, and it was based on the facts of what happened. Um, there was another uh, television program uh, from 1973, 1974. It was a British documentary entitled "The World at War," and it was uh, narrated by uh, good old Lawrence Olivier. Um, and, uh, and no, we're not talking about Jim Cornette's version of Lawrence Olivier, what he calls Kenny Omega. Um, <laughs> talking about the real Lawrence Olivier, um, you know, brilliant actor. Um, uh, but but yeah, I mean he 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 was narrated by that where it talks about the show, basically showing helicopter views of the destroyed village and things of that nature, um, and there was also um, uh, there was also a song back in 2014 by the band Silent Planet. They're an American metalcore band. Why have I never heard of these guys? But anyway, um, and it was a is a song called Tiny Hands, and it describes the massacre of Odur Sangrule. Um, through the eyes of Madame Marjorie Rolfin, who was the sole survivor of the church massacre. Oh wow! So I'm gonna have to. I'm a big fan of metalcore, so I'm gonna look that up and see uh, what the uh, see what it see if it sounds good. Um, I might like it, Chip. Probably not. Uh, but yeah, I'm gonna say I'm, I'm gonna. It's a hard pass. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's a hard pass, but it's definitely a pass. Yeah, they might be able. They might. You might be able to hear some melody. It might be like I don't know, "Bring Me the Horizon" or something. You know, before they got all preachy and you know soft. But anyway, yeah. um, that's that's just for me. Anyway, all right. So let's move on to the next one. You got it. From there, we're gonna talk about Pine Ridge, South Dakota. All right, so the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota has been a black spot on America's record ever since 1890 when it was the site of the infamous Wounded Knee Massacre. Leading up to the attack, local white settlers and army men became increasingly alarmed at indigenous activity in the area. Their newly formed ghost dance movement was seen as a precursor to war, and so the U.S. Army attempted to relocate local Lakota people and disarm them. Tensions were too high. The disarmament went tragically awry, and by the end of the day on December 29, 1890, 250 to 300 Lakota men, women, and children lay dead at the hands of the U.S. 7th Calgary Regiment. The incident has since become a symbol of past government indigenous relations, a rallying cry for indigenous rights movements, and a dark stain in American history books. Wow. Now, I have heard of the Wounded Knee Massacre, but I didn't know that it was at a place called Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Right. I, I didn't know anything about this one at all. So Oh, I learned about this in school. I did not. Okay. Yeah, I remember I, I remember I remember I went to school in Georgia. <laughs> That's true. There you go. Um man, let me I'm gonna type this in real quick. Let's see Pine Ridge. Dad gummit. 
All right, here we go. And it talks the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Uh, I'm trying to find where it says, okay, yeah, like the Wounded Knee Massacre. There we go. Yeah, they, it's, in, it's in Remembrance. Uh, it says right here. Um, it says, it says in 19, as I'm saying, 1891, the ghost shirt, um, the ghost shirt, uh, which is believed to have been worn by the Sioux Indians that were killed, or the Sioux warriors who were killed in the 19, uh, in 1890 massacre, um, though it had been torn by one who has, who has died at the massacre, was brought to Glasgow, Scotland by George C. Crager, a Lakota Sioux interpreter with Wild Bill's Wild West show. He sold it to the Kelver Grove Museum, which is displayed, uh, which displays the shirt <clears throat> until it was returned back to the Wounded Knee Survivor Association in 1998. Uh, St. John's Episcopal Missions Church was built on the hill behind the mass graves in which the victims were buried. Some survivors, having been nursed in a new and then the new Holy Cross Mission Church in 1903, descendants of those who died in battle erected a monument at the gravesite. This this memorial lists many of those who died at the Wounded Knee, along with the with an inscription that reads, "Excuse me, this monument is erected by surviving relatives of the Ogallala and Cheyenne River Sioux Indians in in, in memory." Of Chief Bigfoot of the Chief Bigfoot Massacre, December 29th, 1890. Colonel Forsyth in command of the U.S. troops. Bigfoot was a great chief of the Sioux Indians. He often said, I will stand in peace until my last day comes. He did many good and brave deeds for the white man and the red man. Many in, innocent women and children who knew no wrong died here. And then the, 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 the Wounded Knee Battlefield was declared a United States National Historic Landmark in 1965 and was listed on the U.S. National Registry of Historic Places in 1966. Yeah. It's crazy. It's another one of those, those tragedies that never should have happened. Exactly, exactly. Um, interestingly enough, um, the massacre has been referenced in many, many films, including Thunderheart, uh, Legends of the Fall, Hildago, uh, and Hostels. Um, in the 2005 TNT miniseries Into the West, um, it includes scenes of the massacre. And in 2007, HBO Films released a film adaptation of D. Brown's best-selling author, Bury My Head at Wounded Knee. And then in 2016, a film entitled Neither Wolf Nor Dog has a climax at the massacre site and was filmed actually on the location of the actual massacre. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and, and also it says in, in the year 1992, the video game Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time, which is one of my favorite Ninja Turtle games, uh, one level is called Bury My Shell at Wounded Knee, and it takes place in 1885 A.D. on a train in Old American West. I don't I remember know. that. You don't remember Turtles in Time? No, I remember Turtles in Time, but I don't remember that... Um... The name of the of the, yeah. of the level, 
Yeah, I don't remember the name of the level either. I just found it. I just found it interesting that it that it had said that. You know, uh, there was also uh, in 1960, in nineteen ninety six DC Comics uh, Saints Saint of Killers, uh, written by Garth Ennis. The main character becomes a a, a surrogate angel of death, reaping souls whenever men kill other men violently. The story is set in the eighteen eighties, and near the end of chapter four, it is said that. Four, said that four years later he was called upon at wounded knee. Huh. Uh, yeah. Oh fuck these guys. Uh, the, <laughs> no, 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 no. Because it says the white supremacist religion known as creativity, otherwise known as the World Church of the Creator or the New Church of the Creator openly celebrates the massacre declaring its anniversary as a, as a religious holiday known as West Victory Day. Yeah, fuck those guys. Fuck those guys. And in 2013 the video game BioShock Infinite uh several main characters are veterans of Wounded Knee. Uh the protagonist Booker DeWitt is haunted by his deeds during the battle and at one point confronts one of his fictional superiors um from the event. The wounded, the wounded knee massacre, and the events leading to it uh, constitute the final chapter of a book called "Gold of the Black Hills," um, a trilogy of novels told from the perspective of the Sandy Dakota tribe by a Polish author, Alfred Zakarski, and his wife Christiana. So there you go. Yeah, whole lot of a uh, whole lot of. Uh, bad bad things happened on that day yeah so yeah so that being said <clears throat> excuse me we're gonna move on to the very next one and this next one is sharpsburg maryland now sharpsburg maryland is a village of only 700 with 281 years of almost exclu exclusively peaceful history there is almost nothing of note to say about this little town Except for one small fact. In 1862, it was the site of the single bloodiest day in American history, the Battle of Antium. On, on, on September 17, 1862, Union and Confederate forces met at Sharpsburg and battled from 5.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. In those 12 hours, more than 22,000 American soldiers lost their lives. No other day in the country's history produced as many casualties, even in World War II. And that has been, and that was made at Sharps, that's what made Sharpsburg famous in most, in the most ghoulish of ways. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, this was 1862. <clears throat> I believe it was, you know, I don't know if it was the height of the Civil War, but it was definitely there. Um, right. Man, could, you, could you imagine like 22,000 people just dead? And you know, like, and you, if you survived it, that whole thing, I mean, let, let's just, let's just, let's just play statistics here. Let's just say 22,000 Americans, let's say one on one, like 1,100 on one, 11,000 on one side, 11,000 on the other. I mean, you're still bringing a shit ton of people, you know? Oh, yeah. And even then, I mean, it's like, golly, which leads me to have asked the question, because this was the bloodiest day 
in the in, in the Civil War or the bloodiest day in history, you think Sharpsburg, Maryland is possibly one of those haunted places that we people don't necessarily talk talk about? It's very, very possible. Very possible. Uh <laughs> see, I found see, I found that. I don't want I want Maryland. There we go. Yeah, it says during the American Civil War, the Battle of Antietam or the Battle of Sparks or uh, Sharpsburg was fought, and now and and it says was fought on what is now the national battlefield and the Antietam Creek. Um, according to the census, and this was taken back in two thousand and ten. Uh, it says as of since two thousand and ten, there's seven hundred and five people living here. Uh, 285 households and 192 families living in the town. Uh, it's a the population density is about anywhere between 3,652 inhabitants. Um, there are 325 housing units as an average of 1,413 square feet of space. Um, it's mostly white, African American, Native American, and other mixed races, including Hispanic, Latinx, uh, things of that nature. Only over 47% of the population is married, and over 13% of the population are female households with no husbands. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's really only one notable person that came from this town, and that was uh, Harold Crum, who was a civil servant and White House chief of staff back in, what was it, 1938. So, there you go. This town's been pretty bad. So, how 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 are you feeling about this one? Uh, I mean, I guess the uh, the obvious thing is fuck this town, right? <laughs> uh, but no, uh, it, it's it's one of those that I, I definitely want to do some more research on. Uh, with it being you know the place of the bloodiest massacre or not massacre battle, um. In, in American history. Right. Uh, you know, so I definitely want to, to learn some more about that. Right. Um, so if, if anything else, it just, it gave me some homework to do. Um, and everything, you know, right. I like, I like homework. Yeah. Right. I still got homework to do. I still got to listen to lasers by, uh, uh, what was his name? Lupe Fiasco. There we go. <laughs> You got a lot to listen to. Bubba. I got a lot to listen to, Bubba. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and let's get going with the last one of the night. And I'm looking forward to this one. Go ahead. Yep. Uh, and I'm not really sure why this one is on here because I, well, I mean, it's a small town. So we're going to talk about Salem, Massachusetts. Now, no, no list of towns with dark, bloody histories would be complete with the most famous haunted town in all the United States. That's Salem, Massachusetts. More precisely, Salem Village. So Salem's bloody and spooky reputation has made it a modern mecca for Halloween lovers and fans of the occult. But unlike Halloween, the events in Salem between 1692 and 1693 were not the fun, playful kind of dark. They were the malicious, insidious, please take a lesson from this kind of dark. And if you didn't know, we're talking about the Salem Witch Trials. They were the deadliest witch hunt in U.S. history. In a little over the 
in a little over one year, Massachusetts executed more alleged witches and conspirators than it had in the preceding century. So just to put that in perspective, in one year, they killed more people than they did in the previous 100 years. Now that's crazy. That's insane. Uh, Now I say that to tell you that at least 25 people died due to the trials and all of them needless to say were innocent of witchcraft. The incident has forever been linked to the town of Salem and to a lesser extent neighboring Danvers, the modern day location of Salem village to the dangers of religious extremism, unchecked groupthink, and the subvert subversion of due process. Yeah. Oh, there was no due process at all. Like you could no. like, I mean, it, it literally, I mean, I mean, I've seen many, many, uh, uh, I mean, people talk about them like different cartoons, uh, things like that. In fact, I was watching an episode of a uh, Scooby-Doo, um, uh, it was the new. It was be cool, Scooby Doo. It's on. Uh, it's on uh, Boomerang, and um, they were doing one episode where they were in. They were uh, at a Renaissance uh, festival, uh, the old Renaissance fairs. Where you dress up like the you know 1500s, and there's a court jester and things of that nature. And there was one is like, well, it's like you can't use that. It hasn't been invented yet. Well, well, I'll invent it. And it was like lipstick or something. And they were like, hmm, interesting. You know, the only person who can make this is a witch, you know, and the, that whole thing. So they're playing off of that. But right. it's it's been used in pop culture for so many different things. Um, and I mean, and, and, and the people who are normally the people who 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 made the the uh, the accusations were the Puritans, you know, our ancestors, you know, mm-hmm. um, people so tight, the English kicked them out. Uh I mean, that, Robin Williams said that joke. Shout out, rest in peace. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the Puritan uh, belief was it was very much, very much anti anything that wasn't of the church, and anything that wasn't of the church was automatically deemed evil. And instead of doing what the Bible says and turning the other cheek, oh, we're going to condemn you to death, you know. Um, but but and that's just and that's a broad. Uh, exposition, you know, but then, no, but they actually no, had that's that's not broad. That's pretty accurate to right. Uh, what happened? Right. It says immediately following this this execution. Okay, let me let me go back and say. Okay, the court of Ole and Termender, uh, convened in Salem Town on June second. Uh, 1692, and William Showgood, the new lieutenant, new county lieutenant, and chief marjorie state, Thomas Newton as the crowns. It's blah, okay, blah, 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 blah. I don't fucking care. Okay, I'm trying to look at. Okay, yeah, because it said right here, it says, yeah, because this was the formal prosecution. Um, it says Bridget Bishop's case was, and this was the a woman who was um, accused of witchcraft, was the first brought to the grand jury who endorsed all the. Uh, indictments uh, who who endorsed all the indictments against her. Uh, Bishop was described as not living a Puritan lifestyle for she wore black clothes and odd costumes, which is against the Puritan code. First of all, time out. 
I know a lot of people who believe in Jesus Christ and they wear black almost damn near every day. Right. Yep. My I most of my wardrobe that I wear is black and I still love Jesus. Most of the, the shirts that are in my closet are all band T-shirts from different insane, crazy metalcore bands. But guess what? I still love Jesus. So let's move on. It says that when she was examined before her trial, Bishop was asked about her coat, which had been awkwardly cut and torn in two different ways. The way of, okay. This, along with her quote-unquote immoral lifestyle, infirmed, I'm sorry, affirmed to the jury that Bishop was a witch. She went to trial at the same day and was convicted. And on June 3rd, the grand jury endorsed uh, indictments against Rebecca Nurse and William, Lim uh, William sorry, John Willard. But they did not go to trial immediately. The reasons were still unclear. And Bishop was executed by hanging on June 10th of 1692. Following her execution, the court adjourned for 20 days until June 30th while it sorted advice from New England's most influential minister upon the state of things that then that what stood. Their collective response came back dating back on June, June 15th and composed of, you ready for this? Okay. The afflicted state of are poor neighbors that are now suffering by molestation of the invisible world. We apprehend so deplorable, we, we, we upheed so deplorable that we think their condition calls for an utmost help of all persons in several capacities. Two, we do not, we, we cannot, but with all thankfulness, acknowledge the success which the merciful God had been given into the sedacious. Basically, they're running through the lines of like why they're doing the things that they're doing, basically. It says, we judge that in the prosecution of these and all such witchcraft, there is need of a very critical and exquisite caution, lest by too much uh, cred credulity, the fuck is credulity, for things received only upon the devil's authority, there will there be a door open for a long train of misery, consequences, and Satan gets the advantage over you, for we should not be arrogant of this device. Elaborating a little bit more, it says, Nevertheless, we cannot humbly recommend unto the government the speedy and vigorous prosecution of such as have rendered themselves obnoxious according to the direction given to us by the laws of God and the wholesome statues, statues of the English nation for the detection of witchcraft. And basically, they they it it, it got to it got to such a degree that it ended up going to the Supreme Court in uh, January of 1693. Okay, and. That's when the end at the end of at the end of April of that year, the court uh, convened in Boston, Suffolk County, and cleared uh, a gentleman by the name of John uh, Alden uh, by uh, proclamation. It uh, it heard charges uh, against a slave girl named Mary Watkins for falsely accusing her mistress of witchcraft. So not only could you not be a witch, you couldn't practice witchcraft or be perceived to practice witchcraft, but you could not falsely accuse somebody of witchcraft because then you get in trouble and arrested as well. What fucking sense does that make? Uh, well, I mean, 
it makes sense that you shouldn't falsely accuse people. I mean, I I agree with that. I agree with that a hundred percent. That's not what I'm talking about. But then again, was what, was it really falsely accusing or was she, did she really was convinced that she was a witch? And then, you know, nothing ever happened. Because if I'm not mistaken, the movie The Crucible, um, which is about the Salem Witch Trials, I believe closer toward the end of the film, a lady, you know, said that she accused her of witchcraft, but they disregarded it because, oh, she's a lady of the Puritans. She would never do such things, you know. Um, I'm yeah, trying to remember I, exactly. I, I, you know, no, I, I think I think you're right in that. Uh, so, I mean... And maybe a lot of people were accusing other people. I mean, let's be honest. There's this thing that's going around now called cancel culture. Yep. Could that be the same thing as the Salem witch hunts? Except for we're not hanging people. We're just kicking them off social media and pretending like they never existed. Right. Hmm. Yeah. There's this old saying... That if you don't learn from history, you are doomed to repeat the past. Exactly. But, but I digress, so we're not going to go right. down that road. Nah, we go down that road. This whole podcast is going to be turned upside down, flipped on its head. Uh, that being said, though, there is uh, the thing about this is that it's so captivating from so many different, and it's so strange because, like, a lot of people, especially in nineteen, uh, especially in nineteen ninety six, when the movie The Crucible came out, um, which was The Crucible was actually a remake of the nineteen fifty three uh, French uh, slash East German film uh, of the same name. Uh, the Crucible was about the Salem witch trials back in sixteen ninety two, um, and uh, it was yeah, it was it was one of those things where it it talked about you know. You know, I remember Daniel Day Lewis being in it. Renona Ryder was in it. Uh, uh, Roy, uh, uh, not Roy Campbell. Rob Campbell was in. It. Like there was so many good people that was in the movie, um, and that was like okay, like like for example, I, if if you haven't seen the movie, just whatever, just ignore this part. Um, it says that Elizabeth Proctor, who was in the movie, um, and she Elizabeth Proctor was played by. Uh, I'm trying to remember who played her. Uh, Joan Allen. Um, you people may have known her from the the night for 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 mostly her play work and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, she uh, she it says that it, her character uh, says that you know she is pregnant and will spare be spared from death until the baby is born, but he insists on charging the girl with false witness. In other words, lying. About being a witch, like, you know, um, if if you haven't seen the Crucible, go check it out. It's actually a pretty interesting movie, um, and it shows just the, the, the rapid, like what Chip said a minute ago, the rapid can't because a lot of a lot of it was one person made an accusation, and then people just automatically, oh, okay, th- that's acceptable, and then that person says, oh, I got power, I can accuse this person, and I can accuse that person, and I can accuse this person, and everybody's gonna fucking believe me because guess what? Nobody can prove me wrong, you know, like right. really, you know. But you know, Made of Salem was one, um, a movie back back in the nineteen thirties. Uh, I married a witch from nineteen forty two, The Crucible, like I said mentioned before. Um, uh, there was a movie, uh, The Covenant. 
I don't know if you guys ever heard of this one. It was from it was from the movie 2006, uh, The Covenant. There was also The Hauntings of Salem uh, that came out 2011. Um, Rob Zombie had Lords of Salem, uh, which was an interesting uh, take on the the genre. Uh, it was about a coven of 300-year-old witches who were secretly imprisoned and tortured during the Salem Witch Trials. Go check that out. Um, there was another one called The Autopsy of Jane Doe. I don't know if you heard about, heard about this one. Um, have you heard about this one, Chip? I have not, no. Yeah, The Autopsy of Jane Doe is from 2016. It's a horror movie depicting the autopsy performed on a dead woman found in a bizarre crime scene. And the coroners find increasingly strange clues and experiences experiences supernatural and unexplained events in an attempt to find out the, the mysterious body's identity and the cause of death. And towards the end of the film, spoiler alert, you find out that the body was revealed to be part the body was left over from the Salem witch trials and found out that she in fact was a witch, you know, you can, you know, it's still a fascinating movie if you want to watch it. Um, and then in 20, in 2021 of this year, um, there was a, uh, a horror film series called the fear street trilogy. Uh, it's a trilogy of horror movies that regularly refers references, uh, the Salem witch trials. Uh, for example, uh, Sheriff good is, an homage to one of the first victims of the Salem witch trial, Sarah Good. So, yeah. So it's it, yeah. So it's it, it, it's interesting to hear a lot of it. Um, and of course, there have been songs that have been about it. Uh, Clutch did a song about it. Um, let's see, Abigail Williams uh, did a song about it as well. Um, Burn the Witch by the band Queens of the Stone Age was about the Salem witch trials. Um, there was another band called One Eye Doll. I don't know if you guys ever heard of them. They're a punk, they're a, they're a, they're a gothic rock band out of Austin, Texas. Um, uh, actually, pretty good. Um, but they actually they had a concept album called Witches, and on this album they have a, the whole album is a concept album around the Salem Witch Trial, pretty much. Um, very very interesting, and, if, and it's also in video games as well. Uh, Castlevania Symphony in the Night has an enemy called Salem Witch, which sometimes drops shortcake uh referencing um it, possibly in reference to witch cake as what they were talked about in um in that um and then it was also in 2014 an online game uh called town of salem which is more of a comical style uh version of the salem witch trials um and it's played kind of like mafia style if you will okay um, but yeah, so that's interesting um there and, and if, if you're a fan of the show uh ruby which is R W B Y. Uh, it's a rooster. It's a rooster teeth uh, animated show uh, that was created by Monty Yum. Uh, Monty Ohm. I'm sorry. Um, rest in peace, Monty. Um, but yeah, there's a character actually called Salem who was who was both the narrator and one of the main villains, and she's named after the town Salem, Massachusetts. So, so yeah, very very interesting. Um, that there's a there's a whole lot of history behind the this this certain one, um, and in a in a company it's accompanied by a lot of pictures and a lot of photography, um, different people like different things like like the Reverend George Barrow accusing the women of witchcraft and they would either be hung or they'd be burned or they'd be buried alive things of that nature, um, but in a roundabout way it's kind of. I won't say it's the most fucked up thing that we've talked about tonight, but it's definitely up there as far as like, you know, how can one person, you know, dupe an entire town to make them believe, oh, this person's a witch, you know, when they're not, you know, but I don't know. So out of all the ones we've talked about tonight, Chip, which one did you find the most interesting? 
to be honest, I found them all interesting in in different ways. Right. Uh, if if that makes sense, uh, I, I want to do you know some more research on uh, all ten of these towns. Actually, right. Uh, I mean, and I know a lot about the Salem witch trials, but it, it's it's one of those things. Like, I, I still want to know more. Right. Um. So. Yeah, I, I thought all of them were very like what you said. I found I thought I thought, I thought a lot more interesting. Obviously, the Salem witch trials, um, the battle at Sparksburg was a, was an interesting one. Um, definitely the one about um, uh, Centralia, Pennsylvania was interesting one to me. Um, the Attica, New York, uh, correctional facility was very interesting. Uh, the one about the Ukraine, the one in the Ukraine, was interesting to me. We've talked about Liberty and Independence, New Jersey, about Clinton Road and Shades of Death Road. Um, uh, I know one thing for damn sure. I'm never going to Burke, Burke Idaho. <laughs> you kiss my ass on that one. I don't want, I want to end up going there and be like, oh, I'm just going to lay here and chill in this bed for a while. And then I'll turn over and it's like, I was here first. Nope. Fuck you. All right. I'm leaving. <laughs> oh, wait, nope. no, that wasn't Idaho. That was, uh, that was West Virginia. Was it? No, that was West Virginia. That was West Virginia. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into this very creepy episode. Um, I almost said the haunting sub, but it's not the haunting sub. This is a very creepy episode of movement radio. Um, that being said though, chip, you want to tell the fine folks anything before we get out here this evening? As always check out movementradio.us. That is your one-stop shop for all things movement radio. Absolutely. Um, sh- uh, shout out to our good friend Sean Thompson over at Thompson Personal Training. Um, go to his, go to Thompson Personal Training on Facebook and get all of his information right there that you can find. Um, again, boxing, cardio, um, yoga. I mean, he, he's got a lot of it. Hey, he might even show you some karate. Who knows? Uh, that being said, though, yeah, shout out to you, Sean. Go check him out. Thompson Personal Training on Facebook. Uh, shout out to Jerry and Jennifer over at the Chronic Conversation Podcast. Shout out to... Uh, Andrew and Sean over at the Warrior Workout Network, twitch.tv slash Unleashed Demon, our good friend Ivan Montanez and his twi- his Twitch channel. Uh, yeah, a lot of cool things we got coming down the pipe from radio, and we're looking forward to this. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and if you guys want to uh, get in on the conversation, go to Facebook, check out Movement Radio, uh, the Movement Radio fans page. Um, that way you guys can discuss and talk, and if other people are promoting things too, cool, awesome. Um, but yeah, we love you guys. We appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for giving us the 17,000 uh, downloads. Can't thank you guys enough. We love you. We appreciate you guys. And we'll see you guys next time on another edition of Movement Radio Chip. Let's hit them with the outro. Please do not leave without leaving a like, comment, share, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Follow us on all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Check out the YouTube channel. Subscribe, click that bell to get notified of our latest videos. And check out movementradio.us. I am Chip Hazard. And I am Talon Williams. And this is Movement Radio. God's plan.